All right. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the church at Sturkey Hills. We're going to have a good time today. I don't want there to be any surprises. I want you to know what we're going to be doing today, okay? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand here in just a second. We're going to sing a song, all right? Everybody likes to sing a song. It's a good song. You maybe don't know the words. That's why we put cheat notes on a 50-foot screen, okay? Uh, then we're going to baptize a couple of people, and that's always exciting because that's a symbol of a new life, all right? After that song, I'm going to teach a little bit about the Word of God and about baptism and about life and about worship. And then we're going to sing a couple more songs, and then I'm going to teach a little bit more about Scripture and about worship and what that looks like. And then we're going to sing a song, and we're going to ordain one of our men into Christian ministry as a chaplain coming alongside the men in blue. And then we're going to close with a fun song to lead us out of here differently than the way we came in. So if you're cool with that, that's what we're going to do. And we're going to start right now. So I want to invite you to stand up and let's sing to our great God who expected you to show up today.
All right, you can be seated. Well, it's exciting to be here. What a great song. Amen. Praise opens prison doors. And man, we have every reason to praise today. If you're a believer, you got a reason to praise. And that is that God came to this earth and died in your place to rescue you from you and to open the doors of heaven one day so your destiny has been eternally changed. Man, that's worth praising. And every time somebody receives that gift and steps into that salvation, the Bible has this amazing symbol called baptism. Baptism doesn't save us. It is a symbol that says to the world, I now identify with Jesus Christ who was baptized. And so what we're going to do, this is Dalton Mann. He's a friend of mine, and he got saved a while back, and uh, he's been waiting to be baptized. A funny story, we had a baptism. He couldn't be baptized because he had fresh ink on his leg. And he's got some really cool tattoos on his leg. This is Yahweh. I mean, it's cool stuff. It really is. And, uh, and so he, could, he didn't want to get in the water just yet. I didn't know if he was going to run or what he was going to do. But we're worried about it. And so we had to reschedule, and he's with uh, Reagan today. It's a good day. Now, what happens in just a second, based on his testimony, his profession of faith, I'm going to baptize him, press him under the water. The word in the Bible is baptizo, which means to be immersed or dunked. And it's a picture of us identifying with Jesus because Jesus died in our place for our sin. They put him under the ground. And then he rose again on the third day. So baptism is a picture that says, I am dead to my old self. I'm going to be baptized in this water. And I come out identifying with Jesus one day will be resurrected in heaven. It's, it's a beautiful picture. And so Dalton, that's what baptism is all about. And I'm proud to stand in here in this water with you today, man. It's good stuff. And you've asked Jesus into your heart to save you. You've received his gift. And we've talked about that. And so it's in obedience to the commands of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, based on your profession of faith, that it's my honor and my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, buried with him in baptism unto death and raised to walk in newness of life. Let's celebrate that a little bit. All right, brother. Hold on just a second. Now we have Reagan Mays. Stand you right here. This is Reagan Mays, and Reagan has asked Jesus into her life and has that same testimony, and she's gone through a discipleship book that we provide to families for their children, and, uh, and you believe Jesus came into your life to save you? Yes. Yeah, and you know what? There's a lot of people came to celebrate this with you. If you're kind of here with Reagan, would you just wave at her? Look at that. That's cool right there. I don't have that many friends, Reagan. So I'll just run around with you. We'll have friends together. And so Reagan has asked Jesus to come into her life, and she's gone through discipleship. And what a beautiful smile. Isn't that a picture of when Jesus comes into her life? Everything changes. He changes us from the inside out. And so, Reagan, this water is just a symbol that you identify now with Jesus. Baptism, that it's the next step. And in the Bible, it's the very, next, it's the very first command after somebody's born again is to be baptized. And so I'm honored to stand in here with you, my sister, and based on your profession of faith and your testimony, in, in obedience to the commands of Jesus, it's my privilege and my honor to baptize you, my little sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Buried with him in baptism unto death and raised to walk in newness of life. Now, this is a special day uh, because, in part because of baptism. 
And in part, at the end of the service, we're going to ordain a man into a Christian ministry. And, but also, it's a special day in Scripture. See, guys. And so, in Scripture, we're at a funny place in Exodus. You see, we're in a series called On the Move, the book of Exodus, a 3,500-year-old book. But it's not an old book. It's an eternal book. It's God-breathed, and God is eternal. That makes his word eternal, forever past and forever future. Well, in that book, uh, we've, just, we've just finished chapter 14, and something significant has happened that most of us know the story. Israel, about two and a half million strong, have been released from Egypt. But Pharaoh comes to his evil senses, and he chases them to the Red Sea shore. And here we have two and a half million people who are afraid, rightfully so. They've just been liberated, but they don't understand that. And they haven't learned to trust God well. And in chapter 14, I want you to put the verse up there for me, if you will. Chapter 14, that first verse, and we'll just read it. Moses gets a command from God, and the command from God to the people is really four steps, really simple. He says, I want you, do not fear. I want you to stand firm. I want you to see the Lord that he will provide, the, sal- the salvation of the Lord that he will provide today. And the enemy that you see, you'll never, ever see again. He goes on in verse 14, and he tells, us, uh, he tells them also that, that they can be quiet. So the, the steps are simple. He says, I want you to fear not. I want you to stand still. I want you to be quiet. And I want you to see the salvation of the Lord. Now, you say, why are you saying that from the baptistry, right? That's a little odd. Because these two people that were baptized identified in that verse 3,500 years ago that God did something for them that they could never do for themselves. That God looked into their condition, my condition, your condition, sinful, cursed condition, separated from him because of our sin, and God loved us through it. And God stepped into that with a plan. And the plan is called salvation. Now, as we keep looking, I can't hardly see that screen, so I'm going to get my notes over here. Uh, as we keep reading that, that scripture, we go to verse 15. So, so Moses said, don't be afraid, stand still, be quiet, and watch the salvation of the Lord. Now, in verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out? Listen to this. Tell the Israelites to move on. He provides <clears throat> salvation. And then he invites us in. To Israel, he said, I'm providing it. Why are you standing there? Move on. He invites us into the salvation that he's provided. The same thing he does today. Now in verse 22 of the same chapter. So the Israelites went through the middle of the sea on dry ground. The water forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Okay, stay with me. Now down to verse 28. The water returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh that was coming after the Israelites in the sea. Not so much as one of them survived. But the Israelites walked on dry ground in the middle of the sea and the water forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel on that day from the power of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. They walked 
across the Red Sea on dry ground. That was their deliverance. That was their action of faith in the salvation that God provided. It was a picture of what they wanted and knew to be true in their heart, that God was going to save them, and they had to walk through that water. It's a picture of baptism. And you, you may say, well, preacher, I think that's a stretch to talk about salvation and baptism for Israel like it is for us today. Well, you would be wrong. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, probably the greatest preacher and apostle who ever lived, he wrote the biggest part of the New Testament. He says this, 1 Corinthians 10, beautiful verse. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were all drinking from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Moses was their deliverer. He was a type of Jesus. Jesus is our greater Moses. Jesus is our salvation, our way to delivery from our enemy, which is the Satan himself and our old sinful way. And when we're baptized, it's a picture that when I come out of this water, I am identifying with Jesus Christ and everything on the other side of that water no longer has a right on me. I, I've walked away. God has delivered me from that. I don't walk. It has nothing on me. It cannot hold me back. Now, here's what's weird. We've already covered that. That's, that's a remix. What happens next? What is the next logical step when you and I as individuals or we as a church, when we understand the magnitude of what God has done in separating us from our old self through Jesus, his son, when God radically saves us and adopts us into his family, something we don't deserve, what's the next step? Chapter 15, just keep reading. Chapter 15 is a song, a worship song. And I'm here to tell you today, the church has lost its worship. We have forgotten the greatness of the gift of salvation. You and I, if you're a believer, you've got a song in your heart. You've got a reason to sing when the world has none. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to sing in chapter 15, this is how it begins. They just got out of the riverbed, and it says, verse 1, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. And they said, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, and the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. That's what he's done for you. He's triumphed gloriously on your behalf. So I want to pray right now that if you're a believer today, that this is the day that the Holy Spirit wakes up your spirit, that the Holy Spirit revives your song. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much. 
for all that you are. I thank you for all that you've done, all that you are doing, and all that you will eternally keep doing. I thank you that you are God above all things. There is nothing in existence that compares to you. There's nothing in existence that equates to you. There's no words in our vocabulary to describe or define you. You are a God that cannot be exaggerated. You're a God that cannot be over-worshipped because you are worth all of it. And God, just like 3,500 years ago, what you did for a nation, you do for us one by one through Jesus, your son. I thank you so much for these two Dalton and Reagan, who were uh, baptized today as a symbol of following Jesus. I pray for them that they'll live for you strong for the rest of their life. God, I pray that their song is awakened. But sometimes, God, we forget that glorious day when you came in and changed everything. God, I pray that you would wake us up, that you would rise up that song that you've placed within us, and we would be willing to sing. Because no matter what our circumstances are, it's not about us. It's all about you. So we give you the praise. We give you the glory. We pray it in the powerful, mighty name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen. So what we do now, I want to invite you to stand. We're going to sing a couple of songs. I want to encourage you to sing. Forget about the world and the person sitting next to you too. And think about God as we worship.
You can be seated. Now, maybe you're here today, you don't know that God. You just don't know him. And so when you sing that song, it's like, well, there's a whole lot of things that are better than God because I have a good time in this life and God really doesn't rise to the top or rise to the occasion. Well, that's not a problem with the greatness of our God. That's a problem with the condition of our heart. And so today's message, I, I don't preach on worship very often, uh, but I preach through books of the Bible, you know that. And when worship shows up in the Bible, guess what? I'm going to preach about it, all right? And so that's what we're doing today. Today's a different day. I've never preached from the baptistry like that a little bit, okay? Kind of liked it. May do it again next week. I don't know, all right? But, but things, this is a different day. Because in the life of this book, in the, in the life of this nation, it's a different day. This day looked like no other day in their history. They had never experienced God in that way. And it moved them to a place of worship. Now, I understand that maybe you're here and, and, and you're in a hard season in your life and singing sounds hard. Or maybe you're here and you just, you just don't like to sing. Maybe you're here and you're just too cool to sing. Right here on the front, that's my student section. <laughs> okay. uh, maybe you're here and you're too tough to sing, men. You ain't any tougher than Moses. Moses raised 40 years as an Egyptian, murdered a man. Then he became a fugitive 40 years in the wilderness watching borrowed sheep. God called him, introduced himself to a burning bush. He wrote the first five books of the New Testament. He led two and a half million people out of captivity into freedom. That's a man. And that man wrote this song, chapter 15, and the whole nation sang it. Now, it's kind of interesting, I'll tell you this, because when you read it, chapter 15, Moses writes the biggest part of it, and then at the end, Miriam, his sister, she gets a little carried away. She takes up a tambourine, and the women start shaking the tambourine, dancing and singing. That's when the Baptist Hebrews got a little freaked out. Okay, that's when they, hold on, we need to contain this a little bit. And we're a Baptist church, okay? So, it's... God is free to do what God wants to do. When he moves in our heart to worship him, we're going to worship him. And sometimes we just need to receive that and we need to worship him. Not sometimes, always. God is always worthy of our worship. And we say, well, I don't feel like it. Hey, listen, you could come up with a hundred reasons why you are not going to worship. And listen, every one of them would be about you. And worship is not about you. Worship is about him. And it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. God is always above that. Your, your most difficult season, your most victorious day, God is above all of that. He rises, he's to rise above that and we're to worship him. In other words, to ascribe worth to his greatness. He's supposed to be the center of it all. And at the end of the day, the only excuse somebody, the only reasonable excuse anybody has to not worship God, listen to me, it's hard truth, is if they don't know him. If you don't know him, you don't need to worship him because there's nothing there to worship. But if you know him, even in the smallest way, you know he deserves our worship. And we say, well, you know, I've had a hard week, man, I'm tired. I've got a two-year-old kept me up all night, okay? My wife and I, we're at an odd spot in life, man. It's just hard. I'm working two jobs. You know, we got all these excuses. 
And then we have Israel. Israel just walked across a river bottom with their kids, all their animals, and the sofa all night long. And they get to the other side, and Moses said, hey, everybody, we got to sing a song. It's burning in my heart. They had every reason, if anybody does, to say, Moses, man, we tired. Man, we just drugged the stuff. My kid, nothing. They just all sang. They all worshiped God. Now, I want you to understand, legitimately, some days it's hard to sing. It's hard for me to sing today. It's hard for me to speak today. I got a frog in my throat the size of a football. I don't know what's going on. God doesn't want, the devil doesn't want you to hear God's message. And sometimes it's hard to sing with our voice, but worship isn't just what comes from our mouth. Worship can be what comes from our life and from our body. It can be as simple as this. What's this? Everybody just let me know you're here. Raise your hand. Wave at me real good, okay? Hold on. Keep, no, I didn't say put it down. Simon says. Does that help you? Okay. Now, you know what I don't see? You can put them down. You know what I didn't see in here? A quadriplegic. I didn't see one. Not one quadriplegic. Everybody in here has at least one arm. I saw it. That goes up. Worship can be, I can't sing. My throat's hurting. I got a cold. There's a line on that, in that song that just, it's me. That's my line. I got it. That's for me right there. That's worship. God, thank you for that line on that screen in that song. That's what you did for me. Worship can be that. Worship can simply just be this. You know, here's what we do a lot. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm picking on me. I like my hands in my pockets. I walk with my hands in my pockets. I slumber around with my hands in my pockets, okay? Nothing wrong with your hands in your pockets. But sometimes it might be good just to say, God, I'm here. My hands are open. Saying to you, God, I'm letting go of all the stuff. And since my hands are open and I've let go of all my stuff, if you want to give me something, if you want to make a deposit, I'll take it. Sometimes he won't give us anything because we don't have our hands open to catch it. We don't have our hearts open to catch it, to receive it. And so worship is an opportunity to have an encounter with God. And so you may say, well, preacher, I didn't really come here for you to tell me I need to sing. Well, I didn't tell you you had to come. You're here because, of God, because the Lord God ordains you to be here, okay? And you may say, well, I, I don't sing because, quite honestly, I think it's a little weird, okay? So Sunday mornings, the church people, here's what they do. They get up about the same time. They go through the same ritual. They put on kind of the same clothes. They get in the same car, and they drive to the same place, and they take their kids and check them into the same room, and they come into the worship service and they sit in about the same seats and we sing about the same songs and it just seems weird that we all have to come together to sing Kumbaya, okay? It's weird. And I'll give you that, it does seem a little weird. But is it weird, really? Uh, let me just remind you, because most of you all live relatively close to Knoxville, to downtown, and most of you have had an encounter at a UT ball game. And at a UT ball game, listen what we do. We find out what time the game starts. 
And so we leave about the same time to give ourselves enough time. And we get in our same car and we drive down to about the same place to park. And we walk in and we get us about the same drink that we had before. And we go to about the same seats that we probably sit in every game if we're season ticket holders. And when it's all said and done, we all sing the same UT version of Kumbaya. What is it called? Rocky Top. And I just want to remind you what people sing to the very top of their lungs because they're excited about something. I don't know if they're excited about the team or the coach or the people around them or the season, but they're excited. And this is what we sing. Wish I was on old Rocky Top down in the Tennessee hills. Ain't no smoky, smoky smog on Rocky Top. Ain't no telephone bills. Pretty sophisticated lyrics, wouldn't you say? Once I had a girl on Rocky Top, half bear, the other half cat. Wild as a mink and sweet as soda pop, I still dream about that. And then we go into Kumbaya, right? Rocky Top, you'll always be home sweet home to me. Good old Rocky Top. Woo! Rocky Top, Tennessee. Oh, we get excited. We lay everything on the altar at the football game. I mean, hands up. You know, we having the time. And we're singing. Can't sing a lick. We're singing with all we got. And only this Friday night, <clears throat> this past Friday night, two nights ago, I was invited by my daughter, Caitlin, to a country music concert. And I hadn't been to a country music concert in a long time. In fact, Kendra and I went to see Ronnie Millsap. We saw, we saw him. He didn't see us. But we saw him at Tennessee Tech about 112 years ago when we were in college. And, 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 and that's maybe in the last country music concert I went to. So, so, so she wanted me to go to this concert. And I didn't know if I wanted to go, but she thought, it, 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 would be, it sure would be cool if I did. You know what I'm saying? And, and if she would have invited me I, uh, maybe to some beach somewhere, that would have been okay. You know what I'm saying? But she didn't do that. All right? So while I was at the concert, I was thinking, we're, we're, we're teaching on worship on Sunday morning. And so I thought about it. And I want I to tell you a little bit of what I learned and, and how we sung. Now, this might come out a little crazy. A little sideways, yeah, maybe. I don't know how long it'll take me, but I'll do my best. You see, if you'll be my Louisiana, I'll be your Mississippi. Some of y'all acting like you don't listen to that hard country music. If you'll be my Loretta Lynn, I'll be your Conway Twitty. If you'll be my sugar baby, I'll be your sweet iced tea. You'll be my honeysuckle, I'll be your honeybee, okay? Two hours standing, hands up in the air, celebration, candidly, the absolute best concert I've ever been to in my life. He was great. He was funny. The sound was great, clear. The stage press scene, his warm-up girl, 
The guy didn't know what he said, but the girl, she was really good. It was an ama- we had an amazing time. And we were singing silliness just for fun, right? And so to bring it back to more spiritual basis, Blake Shelton led a song at the end that we sing to Jesus. You said, I always knew he was a Christian. I didn't say that. That was kind of a joke. Here's the song. But this is what we could sing to Jesus. Because God gave me you for the ups and downs. God gave me you for the days of doubt. And for when I think I've lost my way, there are no words here left to say. It's true. God gave me you. Now, he was singing that to his ex, Miranda Lambert. I don't know how that flies with his new wife. But we could sing that to Jesus. And so we say, I'm not going to sing. It's weird. And you and I go to places like that, and we act weird. And if you want to go to Neyland Stadium and tell 100,000 people, all of y'all are weird for singing that silly song, go for it. We'll be able to pick you out of the crowd when you show up on Sunday morning. Okay? Go to Thompson Bowling with 20,000 people singing Old Red and tell them that they're weird for singing those songs. You want to know the truth? Christians are weird for not singing to God. Amen, preacher? Christians are weird for not allowing the song of their soul to rise up to a God who deserves all of the worship in all of the universe in all time. And we just hold back. And it's like we're afraid to worship, afraid of what somebody is going to think. And I just wonder, in heaven, what if one day... In church, everybody worshiped. Everybody sang like we sing in the shower or in the car or with a goofy karaoke machine or at a football game or at a concert. Honestly, I think God would be like startled. I think he'd be, whoa, whoa, are y'all hearing that? What's going on here? What's going on? What's going? I think he'd be startled, but I think he'd be pleased. I think he would step into the middle of it because that's what he does. He enters the worship we give him. If there's no worship, he doesn't show up. But when our hearts are tuned into him in worship, he just, he just gets in the middle of that because it's what he deserves and it's what he expects and it's what he should receive. And so what does the scripture say about our worship? It says in Psalm 100, Shout out praises to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with joy. Enter his presence with joyful singing. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we belong to him. We are his people, the sheep of his pastor. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and give him thanks and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His loyal love endures And he is faithful through all generations. That's what the Old Testament says. It's pretty clear. We don't have an out. That's what he commands us to do. But we're New Testament people, right? Does the New Testament weigh in on it? You better believe it does. Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and exhorting one another with wisdom, 
singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, all with grace in your hearts to God. Ephesians 5.19, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord. James 5.13, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone in good spirits? He should sing praises. Hebrews 2.12, I will proclaim your name to my brothers in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. Now, I need to do something. It's not pleasant, but I got to do it anyway. I'm going to talk to the men for a second. If you're a man, say, I am. Some are still wondering, but it's okay. You are. Scripture is very clear about your manhood and your relationship with God and your relationship with your family. Are you ready? God calls you men to be the spiritual leader. Now, a lot of men have transferred that to their wives, and that's a choice they make. But God still holds the man responsible for being the spiritual leader of his home. And as a spiritual leader of his home, one of the goals or objectives of the spiritual leader of the home, listen to me, is to point to a really big God, to direct our family to a God that's so great we don't even have words to describe him. A God who just spoke and everything came into being from nothing at all. That God, as a man, God calls you to be that ambassador of his to your family. So when we come to church as men and we sit silently, stilly, without worship, it sends a message inadvertently to our family. Our God is good, but he may not be as great as some people say he is, and that's wrong. You say, well, man, I've already said, it's weird, I don't like to sing. If, If there's a a line, if the, if, if the preacher says something and it ministers to your heart, it's okay to say amen or that's right. All the men in here, say amen. Well, that feels good. I could preach to that. <laughs> if the preacher says something, I don't care if it's me or whoever, and it says something to you, amen, meaning I agree with it. That's true. That's, I, I'm into that. Or when we're singing, if you're the man of the house, if you're the leader, it's okay. Men, raise your hand like this. Just raise your hand up here. It's not weird. I know it's weird for you, but it's not weird generally speaking, okay? It's okay, we can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. And it sends a signal, men, to our families and to our church, hey, God is a big God because those men get it, okay? Now, what if we don't do it? Does God really care? He does care. In fact, in the book of Revelation, God addresses churches and individuals who just stopped loving him well. Here's what it says in Revelation chapter 2. God, Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to the church at Ephesus, and this is what he says. Nevertheless, I have this against you. He says that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly And remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He says, listen, I don't need any more apathy. I don't need any more flatline, lukewarm, useless work. I don't need, I got plenty of that. I need real people 
to be madly in love with me and who, were, who do not care what the world thinks. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus speaks to another church and another Christian called Sardis. He says, I know your deeds, that you have the reputation that you are alive, but in reality, you're dead. In other words, you look Christian-y. You look like you got it going on, but I know deep in your heart something has happened and you're on your spiritual deathbed. He goes on, he says, so wake up then and strengthen what remains that is about to die because I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Therefore, remember what you received. In other words, go back to that moment when you met him. To that moment when you heard the gospel of Jesus spoken to your soul, inviting you into his presence. To that moment that changed your eternal trajectory. Go back and remember what you have received and then obey it and repent. That's it. Just go back and start all over again. He's waiting to give you a fresh start. And then he goes on. He says, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will never know at what hour I will come against you. The last thing on this world, the last thing in this world, on this earth that you and I need is a God who comes against us. And that's what he warns of. Lastly, he speaks to a church that most church people are familiar with called Laodicea. And he says to them in verse 15 of chapter 3, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot or cold, but I wish you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and you're not hot and you're not cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. What a disgusting passage. And it points to the reality of how God feels about our life given to him on a lot of days. Nauseating. Isn't that, isn't that sad? To think that a God's so good, who loves you and me so much, that he would die in our place so he could spend eternity with us, and then we nauseate him with our lukewarmness. And so we need to be careful. And so worship is the appropriate response to freedom. God commands it. God deserves it. And so now we're going to have another opportunity to worship. So now we're going to stand up and sing two more songs. We ain't never done that before, preacher. No, we haven't. But we're going to do it today. And I want to invite you right now as the band worship team comes forward. I want to pray, and I want you to know if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you don't know God personally, he has extended salvation to you just like he did Israel. And he is inviting you to move into it and receive his salvation. And he'll meet you in that. And he'll rescue you from you and all of the enemies who plagued you in your past.
Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for being such an amazing God. Thank you for being a God that's outside the realm of our understanding or our conversation. But God, we thank you that you make yourself small enough to come right down into the depths of our heart and our soul. We thank you, God, that you became flesh so you could identify with us, die on a cross to forgive our sins. And so, God, these next couple of songs, let them be the songs of our heart because of what you've done for us. And, Father, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, I can't help them. But, God, you sure can. I pray that your Holy Spirit will reach in and invite them to move into your salvation. And God, help them know that all they need to do is confess that who they are, that you already know a sinner. Repent and change their mind about their old ways and agree with your ways for the future. And simply receive Jesus, your sacrificial son, into their life for forgiveness and salvation. God, thank you for being so good to us. For the rest of us, I pray, God, that we would just sing, that we would just worship and have a good time remembering, repenting, and obeying what we know to be true. So help us sing because of the right condition of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up and let's sing a couple songs.
That's right. That's right. If you've got Jesus, you got joy. If you ain't got no joy, you're missing out on Jesus. And so right now, I'm going to let you sit down for a minute because I know you're tired. I know you're tired. We had to get up three times. Church. Now we're going to do something we don't do every Sunday again. Okay? I want to invite a dear friend of mine, Jason Melton and Kim. Where are you guys at? You come on down here. Come on down here. Sit as far away as you could. Jason uh, is going into the chaplaincy. He's going to come alongside our, our men in blue and our first responders. And I've known Jason and Kim for several years. They've been here. And you may not have seen them for a while because he went through an absolute terrible season in sickness, just battling cancer, man. And God has delivered him. And he's here today, and I'm going to ask Jason if you'll sit right here in this chair. My friend Kim, if you'll stand right behind him. Now I want to invite all of our ordained men, deacons or pastors, whatever you might be. We're going to line up on that side. I just came to the wrong side. We're going to line up on that side. I want to, go ahead, stand on up. Come on up if you're ordained, okay? And we're going to pray over them. And then we're going to sign. We've got a Bible over there for you, my friend. I love you, man. I love you, Kim. We're going to sign his Bible and his ordination certificate. And while we pray over him and go to the line, guess what? Y'all get to stand back up. We're standing. It's only fair. They're standing. Everybody's standing. It ain't right for you to sit. So I want to invite you to stand up. And they're going to sing, lead another song. They're going to lead. Listen, let me clear up some confusion. Sometimes we think this is, these are the performers and you're the audience. That's not it. These are the leaders You are the performers, and God is the audience, okay? He's listening, all right? So let's worship while we pray over this, my friend. Oh 
Amen. Let's praise the Lord a little bit right there. Jason and Kim, I'll meet you right over there, and we'll give you your Bible and certificate. Now, this has been a different service than normal. Been good for me. I hope you felt the presence of the Lord. I hope your soul has been rekindled. I hope God lit a fire in you because he deserves it. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so I want to encourage you to leave differently than you came. Now, we're going to sing one more song. Now, listen to me. That's not, a, that, that's not an encouragement for you to get out of here to meet everybody at Aubrey's, okay? The service isn't over yet. We got one song. It's a good celebration song about what Jesus has done for us. So I want to encourage you to sing one more song. Raise your hand if you can't sing. Let God know you're listening and you're paying attention to him. Let's sing.
We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.